Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. Okay, we are live. No cold open this time. Nah, why not? Let's just get into it, eh? Yeah. All right, well, you are listening to the Micro Machines podcast, and this week we will be discussing varnishes. Uh, it's going to be a quiet little ship tonight because it's just uh, myself and Callum. Callum, what's going on with you? Uh, not much, not much. Although I had to run out today to a store to buy a new um, tripod and stuff from holding my phone for filming and stuff. Be, well, because uh, my the the one that I uh, had, it's got the you know it's got the tension sort of um, way to hold a phone on. That, oh, we've got the uh, little clamp. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to set it up so I could record my first video where I'm just talking at the camera. You know, a bit like your one. Um, yeah. It literally blew up on me. Like, just <laughs> I don't know why. I was just I put it in and then. I was trying to like move the phone so it wouldn't pop out or anything, and then it, the whole thing just went and fucking scattered into three pieces all over the place. So the legs are fine, but the the part that holds the phone down is um somewhere in this room. Those springs have got one hell of a bit of power in them, so they're uh, had to run out and buy a new one to set up. So yeah, only cost me ten bucks, so whatever. Well, that's not too fine. Bad. Nah, I mean it's just Kmart cheap stuff. I mean. I don't buy expensive stuff for this kind of stuff. Very nice. Well, I'd say uh, just the two of us, let's get on. Yeah, why not? So, uh, all right. So I thought we would do this episode basically as kind of a break from our normal uh, routine of, you know, talking about some kind of vehicle and then doing all the other stuff. Uh, this time we're going to be talking about something very modeling related, and that is varnishing. So, Calum, how, how would you, in your own words, define what a varnish is to you? Uh, my definition would be a finishing product to give a end result of whether a finish is to be a gloss varnish, matte sort of, you know, sealant protection, you know, all around like, you know, sort of like a saran wrap for a sandwich. A saran wrap for a sandwich. I've never thought of it that way. Okay, that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> well, you know, it, it protects yeah, what's underneath sense. it. Yeah. It's, you know. Yeah, for me, it's always been about the protection aspect of it. I mean, even as a car modeler, um, he was obsessed with uh, shiny finishes. For me, the varnish was always a. Uh, it was always about just protecting that underlying paint job. Oh yeah, well, like it, I mean, I use um, you know, I use enamel paint. That's my go-to. But you you know how just how weak enamel paint is when you put it down, uh, especially I'm air, you're still using airbrushed. enamel. Why do you use oh. enamel? Um, I find it easier to work with, uh, especially with um, long periods, you know, just using thinner just to regenerate, revitalize it and um, mistakes, you know. Yeah. But it also smells good. Oh, yeah. Especially when you close the door on yourself. Um, But when you use it, the the level of paranoia skyrockets to the point where I'm like trying to move the model around without damaging any of it. And I will be 100% stressed until I can get a satin varnish down on it and a couple coats just so I can actually hold it and work on it in other ways. You know, that that's like, that, that's the very first use of varnish for me is just making sure that I don't damage the paint. Because, you, you know, when you have a nice airbrush surface and then you get a scratch or a chip taken out and you've got to try and print. Yeah. And then it's like, you, you, no matter what you do, that that little bit will always be slightly off to the rest of the, their coat unless you redo the whole thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that, you know, we would kind of just, for people, say, who are listening to this podcast and are still just getting into the hobby. Um, so yeah. So varnish is basically, what would you call it? A clear paint or some kind of clear medium? Uh, it's, it's a, I'll say it's a clear medium. Yeah. yeah, it's more of like a clear resin. Uh, usually, from a hobbyist standpoint, there are three main types of varnishes. You've got varnishes that are acrylic, um, like Tamiya paint. Varnishes that are enamel, like you use calm, like Tester's Dull Coat. And then you get uh, lacquer, which is a lot more toxic, but also a lot tougher. So, for instance, AK Ultra Gloss, that's a lacquer. 
and then you get usually three different you can almost call it you know finishes you've got flat yeah. semi-gloss and then gloss which is just shiny mm, i mean like semi-gloss is satin isn't it satin yeah satin, and then semi-gloss and flat is just a uh, flat matte yeah and then but, uh clear is gloss yeah 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 different yeah, terms all the same, same thing. thing yeah but basically with the varnishing when you apply it, whether that's with a brush, a rattle can, or an airbrush, you're what you're doing is you're basically just sealing in the base colors that you've laid down previously, and you might change the sheen of them, but you won't actually change the colors themselves. So it's a great way to make sure that your model stays protected. It, it's look at it. Um, it's the same way as if you're just uh, working on a, a program like say a Word document on your computer, and it's literally just hitting Control S. It's just saving your work. You know, that's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, that's what it does. But that's what it does. But there, you can. There are other properties we'll talk about. You know, there's reasons why you might want to use one versus the other versus the other for certain things. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good segue. I'd say into our next slide, which is why do we varnish? And the way I've approached varnishing is always basically, you know. From a purely practical standpoint, I varnish because I want to have a nice smooth surface to try and avoid getting decal silvering when I'm laying down decals. And I'm also to prevent fingerprints from going into my paints because I often will end up doing my base painting with acrylic and then uh, putting oil paints on top. And of course, oil paints are notoriously, uh, they take a notoriously long time to dry, so you can easily get a fingerprint in them if you're not careful. But when you put a varnish on top, you know, it seals them in. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, I just, we just had Garrison join and that just like blasted through my earphones. <laughs> <laughs> that was so loud I fucking jumped. <laughs> Is he going to be joining us? Hang on. Or not. Anyway. Um, yeah, so have you, uh, so when you have, uh, when you use oil paint, do you put, when it's still drying, do you put a uh, varnish down on it? Or do you have, do you wait until it's like fully dried? Now, see, if I wait until it's fully dried, I'll be waiting days. So I usually put down a varnish on top of it because I find it somehow accelerates the uh, drying process so that, you know, within 24 hours, it'll be good to touch rather than, you know, 48 or 72. That's just really? what I do. Yeah. Oh, and I don't it's... usually use uh, a lacquer or anything like that. I just use an acrylic varnish like Vallejo. Okay. Because I've tried that a few times. Um the very first time I tried it, it was using the uh, the matte varnish that you know my dad made in a lab, so it's oh, yeah. unbranded. The very first time I did it, somehow it worked perfectly. So I thought, hey, I'll, I'll do it again. Every other time since, when I put down a matte varnish, it dries, and then the whole thing cracks. A bit like you know when dirt super dries out. You and know what that might forms be? Because that... I've had that happen. Yeah. I've had that happen with lacquer paint. You have too much pigment and not enough uh, medium. Okay. Have you tried adding like more thinner to it? Uh, I'll need to give it a try next time. But um, I will say though, if you're doing something like say, because I with oil paint, most of my oil paint is for wood, wood grains and stuff like that. Mm. If you want to get a decent old weathered style, you know, when um, a piece of wood's been uh, varnished for a long time and it gets dull, and then it's the varnish starts peeling off, and you get like yep. sort of. It actually gives that effect really well, which I have got on, uh, I think, at least one model. I've got it actually showing doing that. There's a sort of worn varnish chipping away. So it's called a happy accident that I've found a, 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 another way to, ch <laughs> I found a way to do chipping on wood that of a clear varnish chip. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to try that. Yeah. Yeah. It would be something to, um, something to experiment with, but. Yeah, I mean, I've had very bad, um, like especially starting out when you first start using varnish. Um, of course, you do you, you treat it like paint, don't you? You treat it, you, especially if you're new to painting and you don't know the whole two thin coats. You know, just yeah. taking it easy. You just want to get paint down. And of course, when I first started, I was so impatient. I just wanted to build stuff as quickly as possible because it was just like you know this amazing thing. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm patient now, but I'm more patient than what I was. And there's a, at least two of my old models that have the worst varnish. Um, you know when it starts turning white in corners where it builds oh, up? Oh, yeah, when it pulls up. And yeah, is that matte varnish you're using? 
because I find yes. that happens with me. Yeah, Matt Varnish is the worst for it. Um, yeah. So my because my KV one be the that, most opaque. Yeah, because uh, that happened with my KV one. I put a Matt Varnish down, and yeah, it started, and I just did it too heavily and too, and it pulled, and then it, everything started turning white around everything. So I did. I had to go back and do a number of like heavy washes and pin washing and stuff around it just to try and bring it back down. Yeah. To like you know not that, but then at the same time. Uh, learned my lesson with um, clear gloss. Um, you know that has, that cl- gloss for it to work has to go down smoothly, and you you know you. Um, but if you put on too much, it starts or, to drip. Well, it starts to do that, but then it also discolors itself. I think. Um, what gloss are you using? Again, are you using testers? New. No, this this clear gloss was. It was a sample. It was a. It was an experimental sample from my dad's work. It it discolored, eh? Yeah, it's actually gone because I've tried to redo photos. It's my B twenty six Marauder. Okay. The it, the Has it horrific Airfix one. Uh, note to self. Ne- note to everyone. Actually, that Airfix B twenty six B Marauder. Stay the fuck away from it. <laughs> it is. That one almost got me back out of modeling we'll say and that was only like the third or fourth model i built like the hull that's rough that's why i don't tell people who are getting into it to build airfix yeah well new airfix good vintage airfix is actually still really good um you know like their vintage classics a lot of them are really good kits even now Um, but there's a there's a sort of 2000 2010 period with airfix where their kits were dog shit and this was one of them. And the, the the fuselage halves had like they were so warped that they didn't even line up. Like they did, like the the the, the edges didn't even line up with each other. They didn't touch. I remember but, that. I remember building kits like that back yeah. in the twenty tens. Yeah. Yeah, and um, oh, the canopy, the canopy for it, and all the um the clear parts, the the lines to for the um, you know, the frame frame yep. for the canopies and all that, barely there. Like yeah. you, they're flat, so it was a it was a dog shit kit that I was working on anyway. And then I put this um, testing pot of this clear varnish on, and now I look I've looked at it recently. I was redoing photos, and the varnish did drip, it did run, but it also turned a sort of yellowish hue. Yeah, it's, certain varnishes. I've heard people say that some of the older stuff um, can yellow on you over time. Mm. So maybe you're getting an accelerated reaction of that. I think so. It, it's. I wanted to post new, like brand new photos, you know, doing it, but it's just so noticeable. I don't want to because it's a bit embarrassing. But at the same time, it's like, well, this is what I yeah. used to do versus what yeah, it is now. Experience. So, yeah. you know, shows but, improvement. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um. But I mean, so what? I don't know. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, this slide is basically like. I've had so many customers in my three ish years of working in the hobby store. You know, they, they come to me and they're say a lot of them are car guys, right? And they're mm-hmm. just talking to me and they're saying, Dennis, you know, my I'm trying to do a clear coat, right? Because I want my car to look really nice or I want my you know tank to look really flat. And they're having issues like, you know, I'm putting down too much matte coat, so I'm getting white spots, or my my car is, you know, I'm putting down the clear coat on my car. It's coming out grainy or it's coming out, you know, pebbly and stuff like that. And I don't know. I, the way I've always looked at it is that varnishes are paint, yes, but they shouldn't be treated like any other paint. I think there's a special kind of special kind of way you need to work with varnishes if you want to get the best results from them. And the way I've, I, I thought that, you know, this might be a slide where I could kind of give my two cents on that, you know, Having been part of the car modeling world, so knowing all about how you have to get that perfect glassy coat of uh, clear varnish, and then also being in tanks where you need to get the dead flat, and then aircraft where it's like anything goes. Well, I, even I, I even found... on tanks, I'd say even the dead flat is debatable, but that, yeah, that's well, it, for it another slide. Is. Yeah, <laughs> um, I thought There's I'd just another give slide my up. kind of two cents on what yep. you can do to uh, improve varnishing. So the first thing is I found. Don't use rattle cans and don't brush paint. You gotta airbrush because with airbrushing, it allows you to apply the varnish exactly where it needs to go and in exactly the right amount. Right? If you're using a paintbrush, you're gonna put too much on. 
and it's going to be goopy and it's going to accumulate everywhere. And you're going to get rattle- brush marks permanently. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then rattle cans, I find again, the problem is you're adding too much and it's just going to fill everything in. And more often than not with air, with uh, rattle cans, especially with matte coat, you can easily just put too much down and get that whitening effect. So I find that an airbrush, if you want to do it right, you got to use an airbrush. Uh, the other and you thing gotta, found, you got to go slowly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing I found is that, especially if you're not using an enamel, right? If you're using either like pure acrylics from Vallejo or Tamiya or you know lacquer lacquer clear coats, you got to use some kind of uh, a retarder or a flow improver. Because the problem is, especially when you're doing a clear coat, like you know a glossy coat. You need everything to self-level out. Like that's how one of the ways that it becomes so glossy is the medium actually levels itself out to create a very nice, smooth, uniform surface. Because it's not like that when you spray it on, right? So it needs to have time to dry. So I found whether you're using Vallejo's airbrush flow improver or Timia's lacquer thinner or, or with a retarder in it or acrylic retarder or whatever, you want to add retarder to whatever you're spraying because I find that, that whether it's a matte coat satin or gloss always that makes that much of a difference and the other thing is quick shine like floor polish amazing because if you want just a quick uh you know cheap and easy clear coat before you put on decals or weathering this is something that i can't recommend enough to people trying this out because it's cheap right you can get a whole bottle for you know five ten bucks you don't need to clean your airbrush after using it you don't need to you don't need to thin it and it self levels out it's dry within 12 hours. It's amazing. You use uh, floor polish, Callum? I've never considered that. But then again, like a lot of the things I make aren't glossy. Although like I do want to actually build, uh, try building a car just to try out an ultra gloss. Um, although maybe I'm, uh, I might have in a yeah. few... Uh, an aircraft that could probably do that as well. Any kind of uh, floor polish that's a knockoff of Future, so like Future, Pledge, you know, stuff mm. like that, and Quickshine, yeah. all this stuff will work. It's been kind of a, an industry secret amongst aircraft modelers for decades now. And, you know, some people will say, well, they yellow if you leave them in UV light for too long. But I, I always say, well, why are you leaving your models in direct sunlight, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that, that's going to just destroy it anyway, so... yeah. And it's not obviously what you want your final coat of varnish to be when you're sealing everything in. But if you need something, you know, before you put on decals or anything like that, I find this is amazing. I I swear by this stuff. I'm gonna have to um I'm gonna have to give that a go. So okay, so one I want to get your take on this because um, there's different ways you can use varnish. One mm. of them you're saying you know about decals and stuff like that. When it comes to doing your decals and weathering and all that, what what do you prefer to use? Because of course, you know you got you got gloss that has an ultra fine smooth surface, which if you want to do decals, pin washes, all of that, um, you know makes it run smooth, it goes down nice and smooth. But then you got varnish and matte, which have a bit of a texture to them, especially matte does. And of course, um, you know var- satin varnish, you get less uh, staining. And then matte varnishes, the minute paint touches matte, it just soaks through and you're never getting, yeah. getting rid of it. And you're not getting it out, really. Once no. it's on, it's on. Yeah, See, yeah. I understand, again, being an aircraft guy, I understand the whole thing. Like, yeah, you got to put on a gloss coat before your decals and all that. Because at one point in time, yeah, you know, decals would silver. But I find that nowadays, especially with any like modern manufacturer, like cartograph for decals, that I've never had silvering as an issue, um, even on kits where supposedly it was a problem. Mm. So I've always subscribed to the whole like using satin because satin gives you just enough of a smooth surface that you know you can have things flowing well. But I also find that I like it when say I'm doing the exhaust on the Spitfire, right? I want to have something for the pigments in my washes to grab onto so that I can get some staining. But I find it's more controllable than using a matte varnish. Hmm. Yeah, because I've tried the whole uh, using gloss and then weathering, but I, f- I find, especially if I'm doing a pin wash and trying to do it controlled, you it kind of just can't control it. No, it just goes any anywhere at once, and then it usually goes into places you don't want it to go. Um, yeah. Whereas matte varnish, you, you're you're trying pin wash and it doesn't move. The, the well, drop just the stays there. To, that's why I don't pin wash anymore. That's why I don't wash my models at all. I don't panel line them. I don't wash them. I just oil paint them. You know no, how I much hate we're going to get for that one. 
Pardon, pardon me. You know how much hate we're going to get for that sentence? Oh my god. I, I, I don't oil paint render either. I still don't know what OPR is. I don't really intend on finding out because it seems pretentious. I, I, I just... Yeah. And that's how, I got, that's how we got cancelled. <laughs> that's how we lost the entire community. Although I do stand with you on the uh, OPR. I still... I've tested it out. And it? I just can't do anything with it. And I don't know. I don't for me purpose personally i don't like a whole lot of color modulation like on flat surfaces because that's not what it looks like in real life see i'm on the other end i'm i've gone full artistic with this stuff you know what i do i don't panel i don't weather i take artist oil paints and i literally paint the aircraft like it's a canvas and somehow the weathering gets through i think i've got an example of that with my spitfire on one of the next slides huh yeah yeah, it's like, new. I, you know what? I'm enjoying it. It's really fun. I overpaint my decals to make them look like they're painted on and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. I'm going to have to try that out. Because I, um, I was testing a theory with, um, say, with an aircraft. You know, you got multi-camo and you, you airbrush it down and all of that. And then at the end, you use a thin, um, thinned out oil paint and then just brush over the same color for each yeah. of the um, things. Just to see what would happen. Yeah, I think I might. Have you do ever that. tried airbrushing a pin wash onto your model, like using an airbrush instead of a brush? No, I don't have that amount. You've of control. got to try it because I tried it with some Warhammer-like airplanes. It's really good. You thin the wash out a lot. Uh-huh. We're talking. You know, you take whatever the wash is and you double the, uh, you know, the uh, viscosity of it. Right. You add mm-hmm. like more thinner, and when you airbrush it, because of the high pressure what will happen is it will quickly flow into the areas like panel lines and rivets where it would settle before it has time to stain the raised areas. So what you get is you just pass over something like, you know, a tank and it will just settle into everything it needs to settle into without any fuss. And you just like dab away the excess. But I have done entire aircraft in like a minute where it would normally take me hours and it looks considerably better. I wish you'd told me that before I started doing the pin wash on my uh, Rodney. <laughs> that, that took me six hours. It is just way too tedious. <laughs> and like most things, you can <laughs> cut the time in half with an airbrush rather than doing it by hand. Uh, I wish I knew that now. I'm just rethinking my entire yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but the key is, of course, you've got to thin it out a lot, right? You can't just yeah, use yeah. the wash straight from the bottle. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to I'm still trying to figure out, like, imagine how that works in my head. You might have to do, like, a YouTube video on how to do that. Cause... I, I, I'm kind of overdue to do another YouTube video, like, uh, on, as an update on my Spitfire quest. So maybe I'll talk about it there. Honestly, you, sh- you should do another video. I actually really enjoyed that one. It was it was entertaining. Dennis should post in real life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, the one thing I'm looking at with this Spitfire you've got here on the screen, the uh, one on the right... Man, they really were glossy. Because I was doing a Sea Fury, right? A Canadian yep. Navy one. And that was supposedly glossy. Like in the photos, you see the mirror reflections mm. coming off of it. Yeah. I took it to my local IPMS meeting. And guy immediately says, that's a great looking model, but it's way too shiny. They would never be that shiny. And like, I said there were photos on the internet of it, but I didn't have the time to show them. But this mm. is interesting. It's not just the Sea Furies that were painted like that. No, it seems it seems like a bit of a late war thing mm. um, that started. Because like, here's the thing: everyone, like, everyone just seems we're going to get a lot of hate for this. But you know, if you want to comment on the video, how much you dislike our opinions, that's that would be cool. That boosts uh, our engagement. We're happy with that. <laughs> oh, we'll take any sort of engagement. Even email us. We'll, I'll check the uh, podcast email address in the description. Email us if you want uh, long form, but. Um, there are multiple differences. Um, it's not just one for all sort of thing I've noticed. Mm. Like, say, there was there was one, someone did a satin varnish on a P61 Black Widow. Ooh. Right? You know, I would they, like that. yeah. The thing is, though, like, the only, the only time a satin or a matte varnish on a P61 is applicable is in the er, like the early, early ones, right? The uh, mm. P61As, because they were painted a dull olive drab, right? Ugh. But then through testing, 
the Air Force actually found out that a black high gloss finish was actually better for a night fighter. Um, Why? So that other aircraft could see it when they were up close? No, it actually uh, blended in with the, the uh, black night huh. a lot better. They, they found it blended in a lot better than, say, a mat or something like that. Um, that's like because you look at say the night fighter of the hurricane or the bolt and pull defiant or they were you know, all they glossy. Um, yeah, like night fighters are supposed to be glossy, but a lot of people don't paint them as glossy. Um, and then, like even say, look at these two Shermans down at the bottom, right? You I'll got tell the, you one uh, thing: one's yeah. way more visually attractive to look at than the other. I don't know; they're both very really attractive. I mean that 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 Sherman M4 A1 is one of the actual first A1s to be built because you can see it's got the uh, the thirty cal in the bow. Yeah. The um. Well, also, yeah. What what I mean by that when I say visually attractive is I mean so you look at the A1 right and yep. of course the lighting isn't great but like you know this could be an analog for looking at a model on a display table because display contests never have good lighting. The no, one God, that's no. got a glossy sheen to it, you see the detail on it a lot more than you see it on the A3 to the uh, mm. right. Like yeah. the, the flat coat just seal, it just sucks the light up, and you don't actually see that much coming out of it, you know? Mm. Especially because like the A1 has just such these like smooth curves to it. Oh, you can so see the nice. light just bouncing around it, you know? They should never mm. have changed that. It's beautiful. Uh, if it's going to uh -oh. be a if it's going to be a cast hull. I prefer the composite Shermans over than the A1. Although, this is weird. A real-life M4A1, I don't like the look of. Really? A, 30, a 35th scale down M4A1, I am all about. For some really, reason, A1... You can see more of it. Like, in a 35th scale one, you can appreciate the whole thing, whereas if you see the real one up close, you're like, I'm looking at the curve. I don't mm. like this curve. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. It's just a, a real life sized one. I'm not a fan of in video games, up close, all of that. A 35th one, though, for some reason, is visually appear appealing to me. I don't know why. It's weird. I real, I, I don't know. Well, there you go. Yeah, but you can, you can see, like, even walking through the RAF museum and the Bovington Tank Museum, they all had these different finishes on. Some of them were glossy, some of them were satin, some of them were matte as matte, you know, like the uh, that Sherman down there. Yeah. Although that was in the conservation hangar, there's a high chance most of that matte finish is actually dust. Um, that very well could be, yeah. <laughs> but, well, you know, this, the, yep, the American tanks were painted in an olive drab enamel, and mm. the enamel would take time to dry, so it would naturally come out very glossy. Like that's one of the things. If you look at true color photos from like the Chrysler tank plant, tanks were actually pretty shiny. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Like, um, even the um, you know we're talking with, when we had the episode with Martin Drayton talking about his Macava. Yeah, and the Israelis actually put a textured paste over their tanks. It's um, not just anti-slip; it's also uh, anti. Was it glare? Yeah, anti-glare, so flat surfaces don't bounce light around the place. That um, well, makes sense because a flat surface will take in a lot more light than it actually reflects. Mm. A lot harder to see it. Yeah, but it's like so. So you, you, we get all these arguments about, say, no, all tanks have to be dead, dead matte, and all of that. You know, you can't have a shiny tank, and it's like, well, you can, uh, but you know, when when people bring up photos like colorized colorized photos. Colorized photos are only good for a general color um, description. They're not something to go like solely on because whoever colorized it can have every colorized photo has a bias to it. Yeah. You know, you, you get three people to colorize one photo. You're going to get different results each time. Some of them are horrendous. Some of them are good, but it's not a true representation of the final finish. Um. You know, I mean, there there are some things that yes, you will definitely be a matte varnish, uh, matte finish. That you know, ships are one of them. Yep. But when it comes to like, especially aircraft, like that's like aircraft and tanks are the hot topic of like, is it supposed to be satin? Is it supposed to be matte? Is it supposed to be high gloss? At this point, it's kind of if you kind of know what tanks, what tanks had certain types of paint, like Sherman's, 
you can see you can get away with a more satin to glossy look to it um you know you you got to just the amount of research is kind of disproportionate to the amount of effort you know what the um, best thing to do find one in the museum that you think is reputably painted you know mm, go off yeah. of that yeah because also like you you'll see you will see like uh tanks that have the original paintwork on it yep and people go, well, you can see it's clearly like highly matted. It's a high matte finish. Well, right? yeah, the paintwork is also what fifty years old, <laughs> fifty to almost a hundred years old, or you know, whatever, however long. You're looking at sixty, seventy-eight. Jesus, Second World War is almost eighty years ago. Good lord, god damn. Um, my math's right. Yeah, what are you saying for? Yeah, 80, 80 years ago. Christ. Um, wow. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you're, you're looking at something that's been sitting there for 80 years. It's, like, of it's, course it's going to be flat. Yeah, its properties have changed over that time. It's, it's not going to be the original finish. You know, so it's kind of like, it kind of gives you a sort of permission to just go with whatever you feel you think feels right. Well, okay, we're on an intermission. Before we uh, take a break, what do you think? What are some parting thoughts you want to share with the audience about varnishing? Varnishes. Always good to have all the three types with you. Uh, gloss, satin, matte. Um, always test out everything. Um, if you have paint mules, stuff like that. All, like Just test everything. Uh, another thing. Um, one way that is really helps with making sure you don't pull it in places or anything, because you, you know when you put down certain varnishes, you just can't see it when yep. even when you're airbrushing it. Um, put yourself on an angle with a light. That's the best way to do it. Good lights. You want a good lighting situ situation going, yeah. Mm. And also test, just test everything. Test off it. You know, spray your cutting mat if you've got one, just to try and make sure it's not um, doing anything funky or anything like that. So, you know. Just test it, have the basic three, and just don't go with what, don't necessarily go with what everyone tells you you should do, because there's, like, in modeling, you can do whatever whatever you want. Don't let people say, no, you have to do it exactly this way. Find the, find the methods, find the products and everything that work with you the best, and just go with it. If it works for you, it works. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I I'd only add add retarder to your your uh, clear coats. No matter what you're spraying, you will thank me later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Low and slow. Low yeah. and slow. Well, all right. You want to just burn through this intermission or take a break? Uh, let's burn through it. Let's burn through it. Give the people what they want. Yeah. All right. Hobby news. Hobby news. So, Flyhawk, who we would know for their 172 scale FT-17, are now coming out with a T-34-85 tank in 172 scale. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's probably going to be good. I've, I've only known Flyhawk as doing um, photo etch for ships. Yeah, they did that as well, didn't they? Yeah, that's all I knew them for. I didn't actually know they brought out full kits. Oh, you need to check out their FT-17. That kit is beautiful. Oh, speaking of FT-17, so you see on Instagram, there's a guy who built a one, not one sixteenth, one one sixth six scale. Yeah, yeah, uh, Bayan Wu. Yeah, that thing oh, is I love massive. That. Oh, it's yeah. so cool. I mean, where the hell would you put it? But still, I do like the um, I do like the box art on that Flyhawk though. Like the, the way that it's good, like yeah. it's got a whitewash, but then the, you know they've separated out so you can see the numbers. Yeah, and even the fact that. Like the the red lettering is all um, it's on a weird and, angle. Yeah, yeah. If you put that down as a decal, how many people comments would, would you so get? Of people go, you like everyone would go. Oh, you you screwed that up. You put it on wonky and all of that. You know, it's hmm. Mm -hmm. That would trigger so many people, and I would do it just for that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, KPM, which is a check man. Yeah, they're Czech. Yeah, they're they're, yeah. they're a Czech manufacturer. Uh, they're coming out with two new 172 scale Hawker Hurricanes, uh, both Mark II Cs. Um, one of them is representative of Aces in the Pacific Theater, 
and the other one is for uh, Western Front uh, Hurricanes. And fun fact, the Aces boxing of this kit actually has two Canadian pilots featured. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know why there's this big trend towards a whole lot of new uh, Hurricanes being released, but I am totally on board with it. I, you know what? It's been long overdue. You know what I think it is? What? I think it's... It's the same thing with the Stugs and all that, right? Or one sixteen scale. When one company takes the jump, which I guess for the Hurricane would be Arma Hobby. Was it Arma? Because they've been it... doing the seventy two scale stuff for a little while now, but like they were the first guys to get back into it seriously. Mm. Other than Airfix, I guess. Um, yeah, because like a Hurricane was kind of an Airfix mainstay, but yeah, they weren't that good. No, and no one else really did them. I mean, Atalari had that kit, which was like. It was okay. It was a hurricane. Mm. But then Arma Hobby, it was maybe three years ago, started doing those night fighter hurricanes and then the Canadian ones in 172 mm. scale with all the photo etch and all that. And I think those were successful enough that proved there was a market for hurricanes. And then they do the 148 scale hurricane, which is supposed to be absolutely amazing. And then you've got all these like other companies, especially from Eastern Europe, doing uh, doing these other ones. Yeah, and of course you had the uh, Ravel 32nd scale one, which yeah. got absolutely roasted when it... That got shat on a lot when it first came out for being bad, but then it, they corrected it, didn't they? They kind of they actually they took that feedback on it. board. Yeah, and now which, it's I mean, actually a decent kit. Ravel for that, yeah. Oh yeah, like they actually listened to people and changed it because otherwise it wouldn't have sold. You know, because yeah. you know, once it's online, everyone will find out, hey, this kit is no good, don't buy it, and that's just going to hurt. Is, even if the kit wasn't actually that bad, if people just start saying it's a bad kit, it's like you know the whole uh, Kitty Hawk thing, right? Mm. Kitty Hawk had that reputation that all their kits were bad, even when some of them were like, eh. I mean, they're not the worst, you know? They're definitely mm. buildable, but like everyone just says, yeah, they're all unbuildable. I think it was yeah. the same thing with the Rebel kit. Like they had to get in front of that criticism before it was allowed to spread. Yeah, because they they also have that reputation anyway of Ravel. It doesn't yeah. work, you know. So that's. I'm I'm also I mean, interested in this company here, but what were you going to say? Yeah, I've got a couple of their kits, um, mostly because they do a lot of Canadian stuff, right? Like, I've got, for instance, in my stash, their uh, Top Aces Alpha Jet, which is basically Canada's version of Top Gun. So, mm. I mean, yeah, that's, I've got that. Um, they're a short-run manufacturer, and they're getting better. They're kind of where... Uh, oh, who would it be? Checkmaster. Checkmaster kits were when they were still check, the Checkmaster company before they went to uh, CMK and CMR. They're kind of where that, that is right now. So, like, I mean, the kits are early 2000s airfix in terms of like they've got the two fuselage halves, right? And like you sandwich the cockpit in them. Um, details are okay. You definitely want to take a rivet wheel to them, you know, maybe a panel line scriber, but fundamentally they are pretty decent kits and each one that they release is definitely better than the last yeah although i will i've just noticed one little thing down in the bottom right corner and it's got oh, written God. hella oh, no. slash smur um oh no i might we'll need to translate the rest of it but i i hope it does not say like I, please don't say it's told by them you know what that means it's a hella kit it's a heller kit I'm already scarred for Hella. Oh God! <laughs> well, because I I built that Hella Humbrol AMX. Yeah, d- d- and those it, damn French, ruining my beautiful British aircraft. Ooh, what's this? Oh, a mentor. Oh, nice. yeah. This is uh, Academy's brand new tool, Beechcraft uh, T34B men- uh, Mentor, uh, two seat U.S. Navy training aircraft. This looks pretty cool. I like the paint scheme. Oh yeah, I love the orange. Is that is that? Is this like a genuine Academy new tool, or is it I like a so. mini mini craft? From what I understand, it is a new tool, but I mean, don't take my word on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, um, yeah. I mean, Academy kits aren't that bad these days. Yeah, I mean, we we take the piss out of them, but they're, I they're have I've built nine Academy kits, I think. Yeah, all like the, I mean, the hey, that box ones. Art's lovely. Oh, it's, it's a great box art. I think I can't remember. I do. I think the Warbirds Association here—they either have mentors or tutors. I need to search that up. Probably mentors, because the tutors are jets. 
No, not no, not Tudors. Um, uh, Harvards. Nah, I know we've got those chipmunks. We've got those. There was one Tiger more. Moth. There was another. There was another one. Ah, hmm. that's going to drive me nuts. Because yeah, our warbirds, our training aircraft have a really cool um, silver and red. They're like half silver, half red camera oh, schemes, cool. uh, schemes on them that I want to build one of them just because it's like I, I really want to paint something other than green. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I yeah. like aircraft. So you get a little bit of uh, variation. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, this is coming out from Academy. Nice to see some training aircraft out. Mm-hmm. Um, Clear Crop is Ooh. reboxing their I-16. Uh, this time it's going to be a finished one with skis. I mean, Clear Crop models, like, they are insane. They are it, they are absolute like they beat Edward in terms of surface detail. Really, they they are amazing. So definitely, this is what a kit to watch out for. I will say, and uh, a seventy second I sixteen is absolutely tiny. I've built one. I built the Hussy Gower one. Actually, this exact one finish finish type five with um, skis. I do like they still haven't got the finish blue swastika on the box art. Oh yeah, I just noticed that. Yeah, it's like it, but it, it the Finns, the Finnish weren't Nazis. Like that, that was just their air force insignia at the time. It's just it's highly know. inconvenient. Uh, I wonder if they actually have the decals. At least they you probably know, like, do. If you're trying to make something authentic, um, little fun fact about the I-16. Well, two fun facts. One, uh, we have one in New Zealand. Really. Yeah, which is going to be at the uh, um, Warbirds over Wanaka, uh, which I'll be going to in uh, April next year for the first time ever, and I am so excited. So there's one. Also, you see the uh, have you see the you see the slots in the uh, front of the yep. engine? That's for keeping snow out. You can close them. You can open and close oh, them. Oh, that for, is um, so cool. Yeah, for for snow, and then the the Hussey Gower kit actually gives you that option of having them open or closed. Get out of town. That's awesome. Yeah, there's it's cool little feature. I like those little features features like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's there. Uh, so Clearprop is also taking their MiG twenty threes, and as they did the Israeli Air Force decals, they are now also reboxing it as a Ukrainian one. So the late latest model floggers, that's going to be coming out. Oh, yeah. This box Not, art there. It's good. It's a good box art. It's a good box art. And lastly, Ryfield Models is reboxing their Challenger 2 as the quote-unquote Ukrainian version. So it will have photo-etched bar armor and a cope cage. I swear to God, this this Ukrainian conflict is just like putting money in model kit companies because they're just reboxing things. And it's like, let's just throw a cope cage on and bars and call it good. We'll rename it a Ukrainian one. I mean, really, that's less of a cope cage, more of a cope gazebo, perhaps. I know, right? That's... That's actually quite tidy. I kind of like it. I don't know. It's nice. You could put put some uh, put a rug on top, sleep on it. Mm. Actually, you could definitely do a diorama with one of those kamikaze drones sticking in the side of it. Because you've seen you've <laughs> seen photos of halfway that. through the mesh. Yeah. Well, you've seen photos of that, or like camo yeah. nets that catch them at like you see it at the last second. Like I saw a video of one, and a camo net caught one of those, and it literally just swung down. And it just missed the tank and like oh. just h- kind of hung there. You, you'll be sitting there, the crew will be like tweaking on that one, going, Ooh, Flunching fuck. on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sucking uh, them, be suck it down cool, to the tank. <laughs> so let's see what we've been working on. So remember how I told you that I don't weather anymore? Uh huh. So this is my uh, culmination of my buddy build, well, grudge build with uh, Don from Trash Panda Models. We both had to do build. 172 scale uh, Canadian Spitfires. This is my 172 scale Tamiya Mark V with a lot of additions that are all homemade. Uh, this one represents ANV, which was a Spitfire that flew over Tunisia with the uh, City of Windsor Squadron, 417 Squadron, Canadian Air Force. Uh, and yeah, this is it. I did a ton of modifications of it. Um, I cut the canopy in half so I could open it up. I cut the door off for the pilot. I made my own seat belts out of copper sheet, uh, added wiring and stuff like that, you know, plumbing to the entire cockpit, drilled out the exhausts, uh, made new cannon barrels from brass tube, and riveted the whole airframe. 
it's looking really good. I like the f- I like the finish on it. Like so, th- this has got your um, oil paint technique on yeah, it as well. This hey? is just me painting it, and like I'm not using oil paint running or anything. I'm just painting it like a canvas. Wait, so this is just oil paint? Just oil paint. So like you can see, for instance, um, the blue round along the wing. Yeah. Like, see how it kind of integrates a bit better with the uh, surface. Mm-hmm. That that's just the decal, but then I put oil paint on it. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm getting it. Um, it, it makes it just uneven enough to show it was actually painted and you know not mm. perfect. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do like the um, sort of staining on it as well. Yeah, so I'm refining that technique. It's going to get better over time, but yeah, the lovely little kit. Um, it was fun to build. Did you take a photo? Have you taken those photos on your Prius? Now listen. Before I give my answer, you must understand <laughs> it was a beautiful backdrop. I mean, does it not work? Oh, no, it's great. I, I, it's got I the like natural it. contrast. It's got the yeah. lighting. It's got the background. It's got the shadow. You can sit, you got the reflection. I'm just sitting there going, it's like, that, that's his car, isn't it? <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> you can actually see the reflection in this photo at the top of it from a, the house beside mine. You can also see the uh, impurities in your car. your car's paint. That was actually uh, raindrops. So, uh, oh. yeah. I was going to say, it's like you might want to sand your car down a bit. That's <laughs> nah, fine. It's Toyota finish. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Hey, I mean, um, you managed to smash the uh, back of a SUV or something. Oh, yeah. The tail it. gunner incident. Yeah. When someone tried to drive <laughs> rear end me, so I just ended up smashing their back window. With, <laughs> With your uh, bloody your bike rack. <laughs> it's got that self-defense mode enabled. <laughs> Yeah, What's and this? this is why I'm working on right now. This is the F-16 XL, which was basically a variant of the F-16 that was made to compete with the F-15. Um, this is the old monogram kit, which I got for 10 bucks. It's 72 scale, absolutely horrendous. All the panel lines are raised, so I'm in the process of uh, scribing all the panel lines and then adding a few rivets. So this one... I'm really going to try this whole oil painting thing because what I'm going to do is I'm going to make an aggressor camel on it, right? Uh-huh. Like kind of that bluish, like the three-tone blue camel that you see F-16s wearing. I'm going to do that. I'm going to airbrush it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it look like it was in the motion blur. So I'm going to take an oil paint, roughly color match the blues, and then drag them back in a streaking motion across the whole plane. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like and I'm going to put it like on a, an aluminum rod and have it on a little display and then point it like going down towards the ground to try and show it, you know, going fast. I don't know. We're going to see how it goes. Oh, yeah. Um, when you're doing panel lining, I've been meaning to ask you for a while. What? So, do you use an actual like um, panel lining tool? Yeah, I use a scriber tool from uh, yeah. Trumpeter. It's it's just a panel lining graver. You oh, can yeah, get um, them for like 10 bucks. We have the We have the same one, don't we? Yeah, we do. I think yeah. it's like the common one. I find yeah, it works yeah. well. The the one thing cool. that's nice about the raised panel line kits is that at least the raised panel lines you can use as a guide to well, guide that, your subscriber. Well, that's what they are intended for. Yeah, that's that's what they that was the actual function. They they couldn't make it at the time. Wait, really? With recessed. Yeah, that was that was the reason for raised huh. panel lines was that it gave you a guideline, so you um, you know, like stenciled them out, and then you sanded them off and could scribe them. No way. That's. I mean, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. Someone, I read that. Someone, that's what someone said. They, they were supposed to do your, with panel lines, you are, raised panel lines, you are supposed to mask off and then sand it and rescribe it yourself. Get out of town. That is so cool. I never knew that. Yeah. So that that's what I did with my uh, Dornier. Huh. Um, but... With your, so I've been meaning to ask. This might sound stupid to a lot of people, saying, "Hey, that's the obvious answer. Why can't you figure it, figure it out?" When you're scribing, do you push or pull it? Oh, that's a good question. I generally pull it. The way that I do it is, I'll start at say one end of the mm-hmm. panel line, right? Yeah. The furthest end, and I will just lightly drag it along the raised panel line. And again, I'm not putting any pressure down. I'm basically just putting enough pressure to keep it actually attached to the plastic. So you're using it light as a feather, right? You do that the first time. Then you go back and you do it again. Then you push down on it to actually gouge out the panel line. Because now you've got a path for it to follow so it doesn't go all over the place. But yeah, you just pull it together, you know, pull it towards you with a little bit more force. 
But I find that you have to do it the first time really lightly because otherwise it's going to go all over the place if you try to gouge it out. Right, yeah, that which is what I did <laughs> on my uh, BF109. I, I hate doing it. I'm getting used to it. Yeah, it's one of those when you first start it, you you make so many mistakes. You're like, I'm not, that's not working. But you just gotta just keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually, yeah, you'll get it. <laughs> you will get it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so, luckily for me, I've got tons of old vintage. I've got quite a few vintage kits that need that. Also, since when did everyone start doing my thing on the server of like buying really cheap, shitty kits to and trying to build them without having a mental breakdown well you know what i got this because i just thought it was cool right and it was 10 bucks yeah. and the way i'm approaching it now is like i've got this little base for it i'm going to put it on a stand make I've, I've printed out a decal of the mojave desert and i've made it i put i superimposed the photo of an f-18 over top of it right and i've added a motion blur to the whole thing so it already looks like it's in motion uh-huh. and because it's so cheap I'm going to do that oil painting thing. I'm going to try making it, you know, they're going to do the old Dennis becomes Bob Ross thing. We'll see if I can make it look like it's in motion and, you know, go from there. But because it's not an expensive kit and it didn't take long to assemble, I'm not worried about, okay, if I screw it up, so what, you know? Mm, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I buy vintage kits because, you know me, I'm not a brand person. I'm a subject person. So if it's. Yeah, you'll make it happen either way. We we should definitely do a, 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 a an episode just talking about how to build vintage kits because yeah that'd be a great one because every, I, think every, of... it, I always say every kit deserves to be built even if it's a bad one as long as you know what you're doing and accept it you're gonna you're gonna be fine. I mean, you hey, know? back in the 1970s, people this is all the best stuff that people had access to, and they were making you know amazing looking stuff back then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's actually. That that whole concept of the base and the whole movement thing you're talking about, I think I've got a photo when I was at the New Zealand IPMS Nats of someone did that over water, and it looks really oh, cool. Yeah. If I can find it, I'll send it to you because it looks pretty awesome. I'd love um, to try that. Yeah, yeah. Now that's looking great. It's like, yeah, so that's we'll like a sort of goes. prototype Delta Wing F16. Yeah, basically the idea was that they were competing with the uh, F15. Uh, for the strike, basically, what would become the Strike Eagle for like this ah. new tactical fighter concept. So it was like they want to increase the payload capacity of this by literally making the wing bigger. And uh, right. yeah, and ultimately yeah. the F fifteen still won. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, but there you yeah. go. Actually, that that's Ooh. the only that's the only modern jet I think I'll ever build as an F fifteen. It's like the only one I like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, this is me. Um, Look at that. I I totally got onto the one to seven hundred ship train right now, um, just because I've been I've had, as I was saying before, I build a lot of vintage kits, and eventually they do get to you. You you just sitting there went, okay, I need to just, you know, I've been struggling with tanks, I've been struggling with aircraft lately. I'm just trying to get finishes, you know, just you know, just same old, same old, and just not enjoying it. And then I found this for fifteen dollars online. So that I bought it immediately. Bad. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I haven't, I've, I've built one, no, two ships in my life. One was the Airfix 1 to 600 Bismarck, which I built when I was like 10. And it's noticeable. Um, and then a 1 to 700 IB, is it IBG or GB? I, IBG. IBG. I, I can never remember which way it is. Um, but yeah, I thought, I'm going to give something else a go. I'm going to, I remember I built the HMS Middleton uh, destroyer and I really enjoyed it. And it's a really good kit as well. So I saw this and I thought, well, it's a Tamiya one. It's a water series. I want I I quite like doing water bases. I'm going to build, I'm going to build a ship. So this is an, this is the one to 700 HMS Rodney. Um, and I am thoroughly, I've been enjoying this kit since day one. Although, uh, you will see if you look really, 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 really closely at the rangefinders on the turrets, one of them is slightly different. And that's, that's because, fine. well, that, that's because when I was putting them, when I was putting them on, <laughs> one of them just disappeared. I, like, <laughs> I, I, dro- I dropped it from a height of about an inch 
and then I was I tore my entire desk apart because I'm going it could not have gone that far. Eventually, I just had to get some uh, styrene sheet to get uh, glue it together and then cut out the shape, and it took me like three times to do that. So that's what one of them is. I actually ended up finding that rangefinder. You know what? You know what? You want to know where I found it? Where? You see where all the you see where the cluster of um, life raft ship uh, boats are. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was before I put the boats on. It was stuck on it was stuck on it, but I never noticed because I thought it was just a random greebly like detail, you know, like the rest of it on the deck. I thought it was just that. It looked like it. Yeah. And I and of course I'd sprayed bloody primer over it because I wasn't looking, so it just melted in, and I thought it was exactly that. And then, if, and then when I was like try putting the boats on, just dry fitting, like I'd I'd put the deck color down and all of that, and then it just suddenly pinged off. I'm going, what, what? Yeah. And then I actually looked at the screen. It's that fucking rangefinder piece that I'd <laughs> I'd spend an hour looking for it, looking for it, gave up, scratch build a bit. It was glue. It was just stuck to the bloody deck the whole time. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, whatever. It's um. Yeah, yeah, but um, I love that. yeah. So this one, uh, another annoying thing that I found with this kit, I will say. Uh, so they give you like paint options for the. There's two schemes for the HMS Rodney, right? So you got the uh, 1935 to 1943, 1943 scheme, which is grey. Yeah, and then you have the 1944 scheme, which is the disruptive cam pattern and all of that. So I wanted to do that because it looks awesome. And it, I was planning on it the whole time. And it wasn't until I was um, i was actually texting Nick, the scale armor. Yep. And I was sending photos and all of that. And then I actually looked at the rigging di- diagrams. And I actually looked at it closely and went, hang on a minute. And I looked at mine, looked back at it, looked at mine and went. So the 1944 refit, what I didn't realize, they added on more guns, not main batteries, but more secondary batteries. More AA positions. Uh, there's an extra mast on top of the main stack. Uh, you know, the rigging is, of course, different and a lot easier. There's a crane that's missing because they added on a crane and a catapult on one of the, tu- on the uh, I want to say the rear, the number three turret for where a supermarine walrus goes. And suddenly I'm going, oh, I don't have these pieces. Yeah. Well, guess I'm doing 1935 to 1943. <laughs> There you so, go. Um, so the so the the center stack is still not glued down, but I'm now trying to figure out the rigging. That's pretty much it. Then I can start making a water base for it. And what I'm going to have it as depicting its battle with Bismarck. Okay. Because uh, it was one of the ships involved with um, hunting the Bismarck down. Right. And basically, so I've got a I've got a picture frame that it just fits in, but it has to sit fit in diagonally, which I don't mind. Because then what I'm going to have is the front three guns uh, firing, so tufts of smoke, mm-hmm. and that will get that will f- sort of fill up one sort of corner of the picture frame that's going to be a bit blank. But then on the back, I'm going to do the same as I did with the HMS Middleton, where I had the depth charge going, so the big plume. Okay. I'm going to have two or maybe three, maybe two, depending on how I can do the spacing, and that will be the Bismarck firing back at it and just missing sort of thing. So that way I have something in the corners and there's no real blank spaces. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do with it. But That's awesome, man. I can't wait to def- see how it comes out. Same. I definitely, uh, I'm, I'm on the 1 to 700 train right now because I, I bought myself for $15 again the uh, USS Hornet. With uh, the B-25s on it, taking off for uh, the Doolittle um, raid. So that that will be very soon as well. That's awesome. But I spent six hours yesterday doing the pin pin wash and the overall washes on this yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And then you go and tell me, hey, there's a way that you can do it with no effort and time at all. Yeah, just airbrush it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wish I'd known. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've been working on. And then, of course, we have the build-off challenges still going. So, of course, we have Dennis and Don with their uh, Spitfires. So, you've finished yours, haven't you? I'm finished you mine, to... yep. 
And Don, how far is he? I know he was he's, bitching he's about on the final stretch with him as well. Yeah, I know he had a lot of trouble with the decals, didn't he? Yeah, he had to end up spraying them, I believe. Oof. Yeah, because yeah, he had a he had a lot of issues with that. Well, that's always fun to watch Don. Now he's bitching about the North Africa. Um, well, that's just fighter. what he does. That's like his whole personality. <laughs> I know it's so fun to watch. Although that's also. I convinced him to do it to um, buy a frog kit. Yeah, yes, that's I am. I, I am so I am mean. That is a horrible thing to do to someone. But oh well. Um, then of course we've got Hot Shot and Christian with their figures. Although I haven't seen much of them. And then uh, Treadhead and Was are doing their tiny tanks. I think Was or is it Commie has just started theirs. So we'll need to get an update from them on how they're all going but if you have someone that uh you want to challenge to a one-on-one and have it sanctioned by the uh podcast and we'll talk about it hype you up and stuff like that we'll uh just uh send us a message let us know we'll add you to the list and yeah i just we just think it'll be a fun little if you want to do a buddy build but make it competitive yeah all right Alrighty. What's next? Uh, of course, we have the Horizon Island group um, group build. Uh, we've decided that's going to be an ongoing thing, not just a specific time. So, yeah, which we need to change that slide to just forever. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, we have the North African campaign group builds, which has started a few days ago. Are you going to be doing anything for that one? Uh, we'll, we'll try to. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what I'm going to do. I mean, you've just built a Tunisian bloody Spitfire. I mean, yeah, so I guess I technically already qualify for that. <laughs> I have been doing this is the one group that I've been doing the most research for, and yeah. that's because I'm going absolutely obscure and niche on it, like so obscure. I've spent four hours researching just to confirm one thing, <laughs> and that is um, so before the war, uh, the French. France had um, a t- territory in Syria, and then of course okay. France uh, split into Vichy French and Free French, right? Yeah. And over there, they they had a very lackluster air lack, lackluster air force, but uh, they included the uh, MS four hundred six fighter, the uh, Moran Solner. Okay. So I was researching into that because I was thinking, well, I've I've got the Hobby 2000 kit, which I'm excited to start because it looks great. So that one's the Middle East, which is a Syrian one. So I was researching mm-hmm. in, into it because I'm going, well, Middle East, they kind of crossed over into North Africa a bit and, you know, it's close enough. And then I read just one line that started this whole thing. One line that said, uh, when Fran- France split into Vichy and Free French, a, bu- um, a few... Um, MS-406s were brought over by Free French forces uh, into Egypt and landed in an RAF airbase to join the RAF and become uh, and they got their colour scheme changed into RAF colours, roundels, all of that and it was this one sentence that said it and I've been researching into it um, been going onto forums and all of that just trying to like, you know, get it a photo of it maybe or just confirmation that they were used you know flew out of a certain air base in egypt or something like that yeah and i found it's uh, a little bit conflicting it's like you know you have number one free flight uh free french flight and then you have number two and wikipedia says that they flew with number two but then i found a um a, a record that showed that they were with number one uh, in number one free french flight uh, operated two Potes um, bombers and two MS-406s. Um, and they were used in Egypt, Palestine, and Syria. Uh, and then I have found one photo of an MS-406 flying over Egypt, flying over a desert. You know, you can't tell if it's Middle East or not. But yeah. it's in RAF colors. So my thought is, if um, A, call out to anyone who knows anything about the the uh, Free French Air Force, please, if you have info, let me know. I'm driving myself nuts. Um, <laughs> but what it's going to be is my, I'm going to build a diorama and it's going to be depicting one of those uh, Free French Air Force um, 
MS-406s landing in Egypt to join the RAF. It's like the moment they've landed sort of thing before they got their colours changed and rounders and all of that. So uh, so it's going to be, so it's going to have the 406 in it. Uh, I'm lo- looking into either buying a 72nd um, CMP or Bedford or something like that to go with it because um, either that or 3D printing one off. Don't know. Haven't decided. Um, and then also I'm going to get, I'm getting some, you know, the Airfix REF personnel kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was talking to Nick, actually, the Scale Armourer. Uh, check him out. Nice guy. He actually has that. He has that kit, and he said he's never going to use it, so he's actually sending it to me. So, well, that's I'm getting nice that for, so I'm getting that for free, so there's quite a few figures in that I'm going to use. So, yeah, that's going to be my diorama. It's going to be one that I, I actually do a bit of planning for and research. Who would have thought? There you go. But, yeah, one, one, there's one little sentence in Wikipedia that started this whole thing, but if, if I can find the relevant information and make it work, it will be the one of the most niche North Africa campaign builds you could ever think of. A Syrian MS-406 flown by a free by a yeah, um, free French pilot into Egypt to join the RAF. Because there are only two, maybe th- between two and six MS-406s used by the free French in Egypt. That's it. Like, there's... N- those are the only ones you use sort of thing. So that's what I've found out. So yeah, super niche, which is me. You know me. <laughs> there you go. And as always, thanks to Scale Colors for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, if you want some non-toxic airbrush paints that are acrylic, you should definitely head over to scalecolors.com. And if you want 3D printed tank tracks, definitely go and check out Scale Colors 3D on that same website. That's scalecolors.com. And you can find some really cool items there. If you do decide to buy anything, let Jeff know that we sent you. And thanks as always to our Patreon supporters, Paul Gallagher, Lord Floki, Robert Judson, and Robert Brisbane. You guys help keep the lights on on our podcast, and we are immensely grateful. If you also want to help support the podcast, there is a link in our description for the Patreon. You can chip in a few bucks a month and help us keep this podcast going. As always, thank you very much. And that was the podcast. That was a nice yeah. short one, eh, Kellen? Short, sharp, to the point. That was a good one. We should have... Yeah. I think it's, it's quite good once in a while we do a break from doing a vehicle and just talking about modeling stuff in general. It kind of keeps everything fresh and going. I mean, we like to try out new stuff all the time. We don't like to be bogged down with same old, same old, same old. Yeah. Every episode is the exact same format. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well... I guess we will return hopefully next week to uh, hear about Garrison's experiences at the uh, show. What was it, TigerCon? Yep, uh, Garrison, Floki, and Gray are all at TigerCon at the moment. So if we could get all three of them on at the same time, that would be have amazing. a chat about TigerCon because I've seen some photos and they look like they're having a fun time. So yeah, yeah, Floki definitely earns his his nickname. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, does he! Oh, alrighty, well. Bye, everyone.